Ephesians chapter 2, verses 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. I want you to uh, underline that beforehand because that's really where the jump off is. You are his workmanship. You are his, his craftsmanship. You are his excellence. You are his best work. Created in Christ Jesus, which God prepared beforehand. Didn't wait until you got here. Beforehand. You were already chosen and designate his best work beforehand. Hallelujah. Woo. Glory be to God. That we should walk in them. That we should walk in them. What is them? Whatever Jesus has prepared as the path for us. Over the last week, God, with about three different conversations, began to take me back to Adam and Eve in the beginning. I think, I really believe that it's not easy, almost impossible. Thank you, uh, Elder Jordan and all of the worship team. It's almost impossible for you or I to understand the depth, the quality, the investment that God made in your life and is still making in your life as his workmanship. Unless you understand systematically, methodically, the investment that he made from the very beginning. If you don't have a clear understanding of what God did in the very beginning to secure your position as his best work, his craftsmanship, the thing that literally has his name printed on it. I was shopping somewhere the other day believe it was in the thrift shop. I love thrifting. I walked in and saw two beautiful sofas. One was brand new. The other one was used. The one that was used was more expensive than the one that was brand new. 
And literally from the looks of it, if I were just picking wildly, I would pick the one that looked better. But then as I circled around the store and I began to look and examine the piece that was more expensive but didn't look quite new, I realized that it had a name on it. The name printed on that piece of furniture was called Broyhill. didn't really register until I went to the one that looked newer. And I looked up and I looked down. I checked the cushions. I looked everywhere that I possibly could. And it was a no-name piece of furniture. It looks just as good to the eye. It's amazing how wonderful the newer one looks. But what I understood and what you understand is that the name Broyhill means something. It means that however it may or may not look, it's got the best craftsmanship involved in it. That what you see is quite often not as good of what, as what it is. Because you gotta look a little more, a little deeper. You gotta check the seams and see if it's single or triple stitched. You've gotta look at the, the legs and examine whether there are three screws keeping it in place or does it connect with screws so that you can tighten it when you're sitting or you can loosen the screws and take it off and keep damage away from the legs when you're moving the furniture? Little things that the name Broyhill stands for or Ashley stands for that you don't really know unless you know. I want to shift that same focus to how God made us. I went back to Genesis and you know it says in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, Genesis 1 and it goes all the way down. And I want to pick it up at Genesis 1 and 26. Reading from the Amplified. Then God said, let us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Right off the bat, it says, let us. If you have anyone that is worried, that is not able to figure out how you could be three and also one, do not allow anyone to create heresy in your spirit and in your mind because they can't figure out with their mind how God could be three 
distinct persons and still be one specific individual. And the clear answer for, for me is that some part of my faith will take complete faith. The other part is that if God was that easy to figure out, then I don't need to call him God. His godness dictates that some things about himself I will just have to believe And don't argue about it, because the answer is not going to be found here. You literally will have to make it to the other side. In the same way, I said before, I cannot believe when God made us, and this is all tying in with what I'm saying, that each of us had a mechanized number stamped to our spirit. I want you to imagine that. I want you to think of God in his godness. And then reject any fallacy that before you got here in the flesh that you did not have a specific name in the spirit. Before you came to be in the flesh, God did not identify you as human 1356 and 1357. That there was a name given to you that specifically identified you before he moved you from spirit to flesh. And if that is believed, then you also have to believe that you will never hear your real name called unless you make it back. Ooh. I don't know about you, but if I'd make heaven for no other reason, beyond the pearly gates, beyond the castles, beyond the silver and gold on the streets, I just want to make it back so I can hear God. Call me my real name. And if God is God, as I said in the beginning, your real name will never be human 1357 and 1358. And if he revealed it now, it's probably a name that none of us can literally articulate in English. I can't wait. Genesis 1.26 says, then God said, let us, I'm reading it from the Amplified because it breaks it down even further as we move. Let us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, make man in our image according to our likeness, not physical, but spiritual personality and moral likeness. I want, to hesitate, I want to stop right there because you will run into someone that is unread, unstudied, and they don't understand how the Bible says in Genesis 1.26 that the God has said, let us make man 
in our likeness and our image and then drops down to Genesis 3 and says, Genesis 2, actually, and 7, 2 and 7. Let us make man in our own likeness, in our own image, in Genesis 1.26. And then in 2.7, it comes back and said, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Do you get it? That he made spirit, then came back and put spirit into flesh. It's as clear as the nose on your face. If there's anyone that questions you, don't argue. They don't know any better. Just direct them to what the word says. Why? Because I have faith in the word. The reason I read those two was because I wanted to make the very first statement to everyone this morning and even those that are listening. The first part of me that was created is the main part of me that must control me. The first part of me, what was the first part of me that was created? Genesis 26, 126? Spirit. Let us make man in our own image and our own likeness. That your spirit was created, the perfection of God the handiwork of God himself was done in your spirit. Don't question the ugliness of a baby physically when you don't understand quite often that the real perfection was done in the spirit. Genetics, sin, iniquity of the mom or father, drugs, alcohol, all kinds of things have been able to contaminate how the flesh turns out. The adversary has not been able to contaminate the spirit. The spirit backs away when the flesh takes over and the Holy Spirit comes in and says, you weren't made this way. You need to come back to Father. Some of us hear it and others don't. But the spirit that God made in you was perfect, is perfect, will continue to be perfect because the only place where the adversary has dominion is in the flesh. And so... His work, his focus 
is always going to, do, to be trying to make your flesh control your spirit. You got to understand this. You got to get this. If you don't get this, you are not going to understand and bow into and lean into when Paul says, we wrestle, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We don't fight folk that say bad things about us. We don't cuss them back because they cussed at us. Because we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. That in the act of putting our body and our physical flesh under the subjection of God's control is also saying instantly that my spirit man is greater than my physical man. It's real easy to keep sinning if you don't understand that your real power, your true heritage, <laughs> your real legacy does not lie in your physical accomplishment. It lies in the fact that God made you and made your spirit in you first. And that performance he called his best work. Ooh, hallelujah. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. When you understand this properly, you can walk around when you're broke. You can walk around when your body doesn't feel good. Sister Odessa, you can walk around when you feel extremely tired and still have a smile on your face, still have a straight back and say, God, I thank you for being my God. Lord, I thank you for being my father. Lord, I thank you for being my best friend. I just plain thank you because you made me in your own image and your own likeness. Hallelujah. Woo. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. So the first part of me that was created is the main part of me that must control me. The first part of me that was created needs to be the main part of me that controls me. Why? Because every time I allow my flesh to take dominance, I am breaking the chain of blessing that God instituted the first time he lays hand on me in the spirit. Number two. In chapter three of Genesis It said, three and one. Then the serpent, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it. That's not what God said. 
Anytime you take the word of God, I don't care how, how non-invasive it seems, and you add or take away from what God specifically said, you're setting yourself up for failure. God said to them, you can eat any tree in the garden except this one in the middle. God did not say that you shall not touch it or even look at it. The woman said we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. It's a simple thing. It's not a major thing, but it's not God's thing. It's a white lie. Many of us are believers serving God, and we don't see anything wrong with a white lie. We do not understand that God does not see white lies or black lies. He doesn't see little lies or big lies. He just sees lies. He doesn't see small sin or big sin. He just sees sin. God said, don't eat it. Touching it is not eating it. Don't say God said don't touch when he said just don't eat it. You know why? Because every time God knew, every time we add a second layer of rules to what he or your mama said, what is your greatest temptation? What is your greatest temptation as the rules increase? Say it loud and say it strong. To, be, to disobey, to do the exact opposite. So by stating that God said don't eat and don't touch, in one instant, she doubled the pressure on herself. God said, I'm putting pressure on you to do one thing, don't eat. You come along and double that pressure and say, don't touch. Now you've just set yourself up for what? Failure. It is the little foxes that mess us up. I believe my, one, some of my, my, my deepest tears, my most gushing tears when I get to heaven will be when I see the things from God that I missed here because of one just, 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 just one sliver of foolishness. Wasn't big, it was, you could barely see it. It was just, just one sliver of foolishness. And I lost a huge blessing. I'm gonna cry. I know I'm going to cry because I, I, could, I, I can't imagine that I could have been better off. I could have lived differently. I could have blessed others. 
If only I'd held on a little longer. If only I'd listened a little closer. If only I was absolutely obedient to only what he says and cross everyone else out. Number two. Satan is always trying to get me to look one way so he can commit larceny against me another way. <laughs> Satan is always trying to get you to look one way so he can commit larceny another way. God said, I'm making you as a help me to your husband. I'm making you and him to partner up. Don't you let another voice point you in that direction over there. while he's trying to steal your stuff over here. I have to pray into it every day that God help me to stay in unity with your spirit. That I can hear your voice above the screams, above the shouts, above the angry folks, above the political rhetoric, above this, above everything. God, I need I need to hear your voice. Because my greatest, my greatest accomplishment is walking in alignment with your voice. He said, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you will be able to ask whatever you want to ask me according to my will and it shall be done. The question is not whether God can do every single thing you ask about, because he can. The question is, how close can I get to aligning myself completely with his spirit and his voice? So I've been pressing us in two areas. What are those two main areas we've been pressing all year? God, make me a what? Consecrated worshiper. It's spiritual alignment. I, the more time I spend in the secret place, the better I hear. So make me a consecrated worshiper. A worshiper that doesn't just come like Cain and bring God whatever I feel like, whenever I feel like. I want to be an able kind of guy. I want to know what God wants, and that's what I'm giving him. I want to know what God enjoys, and that's what I'm offering. I want to know what God lives in. Some says he lives in the, pres the worship of his people. He lives, he hangs out there for as long as you worship. I don't care how many mistakes you make. 
Don't care how many boo-boos and mess-ups you've made. If you and I can stay in the place of consecrated worship, he said, I'm going to be there with you. I'm going to spend time with you. I will align myself with you. When I speak, you will hear him instantly. Sometimes we, I won't even have to say anything. I'll just have to nudge you in the spirit. And something that is not right is going to start feeling kind of squirmy to you. You're going to find yourself backing away. Why? Because you are developing intimacy with me. True, true consecrated worship. It's obvious to me I don't know what anyone else, but it's obvious to me that something out of the way was happening as Adam and Eve were spending time with God in the cool of the day. I cannot accept that you could be spending time with God himself, Deacon Derek. Every single day before you go to sleep. And a serpent could come from nowhere. An uncircumcised Philistine could come from nowhere. Somebody that doesn't know your God like you do can come from nowhere. Someone that hasn't seen God move in their life like you have. And just tell you something out of the blue, and you don't feel Holy Spirit say, ah, 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 ah. that I feel, even though the word doesn't say it, I see an inference here that they were with God, but somehow all of God wasn't. In them. That they somehow may have started to enjoy the benefits of being made in the image of God more than enjoying God himself. That is highly possible that, that they at a certain point have begun to enjoy naming the animals and literally began missing the fact that the only reason you have this kind of in-depth knowledge is because you are connected to the, to the infallible expense of the knowledge of God himself. You're connected. Adam didn't come have those names just appear in his mind. His spirit was aligned with God's spirit. And so the names came naturally because the, the all-powerful God himself who made him in his li, li, spirit first, spirit first, in his image and likeness was aligned with him. 
Satan is always trying to get me looking one way so he can commit larceny another way. He went on to tell her another lie. Tell him, said, listen, if you eat this fruit, you will become like God himself. Once you begin to, to accept one bit of fallacy, you begin or you become prey to stuff that is literally outlandish. It starts off with something small, then all of a sudden, you and a Christian, if you don't wear a skirt all the way to your ankle. It starts off with something small, and then all of a sudden, you aren't really saved if you don't get baptized in water also. Really? Uh Uh-huh. So God is trying to save your spirit from hell. But you can't go to heaven unless you get physically baptized in water too. You see the fallacy? You see the fallacy? Unless you understand that being baptized in water is an outward picture of what has happened to your spirit. You will go from believing some things that might be on the fence to literally believing foolishness. The adversary comes to her later on and said, if you eat this, matter of fact, you will become like God. How are you going to become like God and you know God made you? Can you say in your good mind that because my mama made me and I've got her DNA, I'm just as good as my, and better than my mama? You might be that educationally, but it's because of what she sold into you. You might become greater, a greater intercessor than your mama was, but it's because of how much she prayed for you. You might become the biggest evangelist in the, in the world, but it's because she sold the spirit of evangelism in you. It don't matter how big I get in ministry, I'll never be bigger than my dad. And I'm not talking in the physical. I'm talking in the legacy. That everything about my spiritual life is built on the legacy of my parents. It's built. What do I have to say about that? You better make sure you got good legacy in spiritual parents. Point number three, and by the way, my sermon this morning is entitled, I'm getting back to my image, to his image, sorry. I'm getting back to his image. I'm getting back to his image. How many of you have a longing to do that? I want to get back to his image. I want to get back to his image. He, I know he made me. There's a name that I don't know about me. I need to know. 
I'm going to hold on until change comes because I got to know what my real name is. There, there's, a, there's, a, there, there's something about me that I don't even understand, but I'm going to hold on until I get an answer. I will not let go like Jacob said. I will not let go until he blesses me. I will not let go. I will not let go because I understand. I understand that there's an image there's a likeness that he created that is me in the spirit that I don't even see properly. I'm looking in the mirror. I cannot see my own spirit. The adversary is constantly trying to tell me and trying to tell you that what you see in the mirror is really you. We spend so much time on makeup and cutting our hair and making sure. And then we have people around us telling us how good we are and how good we look and how fine we are. And don't realize that it's all part of the adversary's plan to get you focused on this while God is trying to get you focused on the spirit man. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. How am I living? It's not me. It's not the voice you hear. It's not the, the jacket, the shirt you see. It's Christ that lives in me. And the life that I live now, I live by what? Faith in the Son of God who loved me. How can he declare he loved me? Why? Because he made me and made my spirit first. It is the reason when you sin, the moment you ask forgiveness, it's all done and over with because the spirit doesn't take that much to fix. It's your flesh. It's our flesh that sanctification has got to be worked out in. But your spirit, it was made to obey God. My spirit was made to hear God's voice. My spirit was made to align itself with God's plan. My spirit was made to find joy in God's presence. My spirit was made to say, God, I thank you day and night. From the rising of the sun until the going down of the same, your name is worthy to be praised. My spirit was made to say that. Psalms 91, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? Where does my help come from? That's a, my help comes from who made me, who created me in his image and likeness. And it don't matter what my flesh is going through. Dad, it don't matter what our flesh goes through. When we graduate from here, we graduate perfectly. 
Do you understand that whether your, your flesh passes with the attack of cancer, passes with an attack of, of, of a, a stroke, whatever happens to the flesh, when your spirit graduates from the flesh, your spirit does not enter heaven looking crooked and all this stuff. It was cooped up in that body that was te- deteriorating. But your spirit was made in God's image. Your spirit was made in God's likeness. And so, if you make the decision to go to hell, it's your, it's your good spirit that spirit that was made by God to be with God that you're putting in hell. Point number three. Satan is continually tampering with my trust in God. So he can take my truth. This one got me. He's constantly tampering with my trust. Jordan, he's always bringing something up that caused me to question, did God really say this, Ma? Did God really say this? And when the adversary messes with your trust, here, I got the secret from my mama. You have to double down. Call his bluff. My mama was doubling down when she prayed all over all of us. Father, my womb was shut and you opened it. And now I'm having babies when I want to, however I want. I'm having babies. I got 11 of them. But then she looks at us and she says, I had a long conversation with God. And him and I came to the conclusion that if any one of you will come to the place of understanding yourself, smelling your own sweat, and you reject him, he needs to take you back when you're a baby. Only someone that is doubling down and calling the adversary's bluff will make that kind of a bold statement. What's your bold statement this morning? What's your bold statement? When the adversary is coming and knocking at your doorstep, tampering with your trust. He tampered with Eve's trust. He came in, slithered in, and started messing with her trust. If her trust was solidly grounded, he couldn't make her question the truth. Did God really say that? Did God really say that? He's continually attempting to tamper with my trust so he can take my truth. I'm ending right there. I bask in what Jesus said to the Father on behalf of me. John 17, 16 and 7. 
They are not of this world, pops. Dad, they are not of this world. I want you to hear Jesus talking to his father about you and me, the ones that he created in the spirit, in his likeness and in, in his image. Then in the New Testament, he confirms it. They are not of this world. It's not, it's not evangelist Peter talking to evangelist James. This is Jesus speaking to his father. They, they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. Sanctify them by your what? By your what? What is truth? Your word is truth. I said to the folks on, on, on Power Up the other day, the reason David said, thy word have I hid in my heart so that I don't sin against you is because you don't know when or where the attack will come from. But when the attack comes and the adversary punches any button to any door in your life, when it flies open, what's supposed to come out? The word of God. The word of God. When I saw that picture in my mind, then I began to understand what he was saying. Thy word have I put in places in my heart that I even forget about. How many of you have ever hidden money around your house? And some of it you hadn't found to this day because your kids found it. Other times you found it when you did not expect to and you really needed it. Thy word have I hid in my heart. I'm not just putting it in my heart. I'm not just slapping it on there. I'm finding places in my heart to hide it where I don't even fully remember. So that when the attack comes and I'm at my weakest, the word in me is what? Strong. That's what he said. In my weakness, you were made strong. Sanctify them with your truth. Your word is truth. I am truth, Jesus is saying. And when I am put in there, when I am hidden in there, when the pressure comes, you're going to make it. You're going to make it. Father, I thank you this morning. Father, I thank you that we are being made. We are being reborn. We are being transformed into your image again. Take us back. Take us back. Take us back this morning. Would you take a moment and say to tell, tell God, Father, wash me. I consecrate myself. Cleanse me. Purify me. Uh, get me back to, 
to that place where I hear you clear. Where my vision of you is unblocked. Not obscured. But plainly seen that the adversary cannot, cannot tamper with my trust. Father, I thank you this morning for touching everyone here. Every single person here. You are touching every person listening online. You are touching right now. This is a moment for everyone. If you're online, you don't know Jesus or you knew him and walked away for a while. You, you just started doing your own foolishness. This is a moment for you. This is a moment for you. Just tell him, Father, Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me. I consecrate myself to you. Wash me. Take control of my life. Make me and mold me after your own will while I'm waiting, while I'm seeking, while I'm knocking. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. As you stand with me, you should have your communion cups right there in the back of your chair. Would you go right ahead and open it up carefully? Don't mess, spray any wine on your clothing. I'm giving you some time. Get your wafer out. You're worthy to be praised. You're Alpha and Omega. You're Alpha and Omega. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Take that moment, take that moment and just get yourself whatever might be messing with you, whatever mistakes were made, put it under the blood, put it under the blood, put it under the blood, put it under the blood. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus was about ready to go back to his father. He said, I'm going back to Bob. You got to stay here. But I'm going to do two things for you. I'm going to leave a comforter. Somebody's just going to help you. Lord, I thank you for leaving help. Woo! Can you say that? Lord, I thank you for leaving me help. I thank you for leaving me help. Woo! I thank you for leaving me help. David said as he was running away from the pursuit of Saul trying to take his life he sat them one day all weary and tired not knowing what to do and he says I know one thing the help of the Lord comes every day <gasps> and every day the help of the Lord comes do you know what David was talking about what Jesus was talking about. I'm going, but I'm leaving a comfort. You stood there. You saw them. Put the spear in my side. You 
saw the blood run down the cross. And when it was all said and done, my spirit left this old body and went down into Hades and took the keys of hell and death. And I got you covered. I got you protected. I got you covered. And I've got you protected. Every time you drink and eat the bread and wine, remind yourself of what I've done. This is a covenant between you and I. As you have sanctified yourself, would you please take the wafer that represents his body that was broken for us. And he says, often as you drink this wine, You're toasting, you're celebrating the victory that I stepped into as I gave my blood to cover your sin. Now celebrate with me and drink.
go with you this morning. May his grace shine upon you. May he give you vision, oversight, and discernment over just guesstimation. Father, we speak these things in the spirit and we say, let it be so in Jesus' name. Let it be so in Jesus' name. We thank you, we give you glory, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.